Hi, my name's Lou, and today I'm going to be reading the internet for you. Why will why not? And today's what is going to be a website known as BiblicalGenderRoles.com. And Biblical Gender Roles is a blog that is written by a man who goes under the pen name of Larry Solomon, and he writes about Christian marriage and what he believes is the right way to live, or suggests is the right way to live, the proper Christian marriage in order to be happy and live biblically. So that's what we'll be reading today. But before we start, I just want to say uh, thanks to everyone who has written to me and posted things to me about uh, what the podcast has meant to you over the last 10 years. People have recently discovered the podcast and have been wondering why I update so infrequently or what's happened to the podcast as I posted on the Facebook page. It's been difficult to keep going because of coronavirus and lack of uh, creative energy related to that and you know, not being able to find a job and all that other stuff. You know, uh, I've tried a couple times to read things and just kind of run out of steam because I'm not really, my heart wasn't really into it. But um, every once in a while, a topic pops up and it reignites the flame. So biblical gender roles was just such a thing. So anyway, um, we're going to read this. The Patreon uh, is, I'm closing the Patreon because I'm just not uh, posting there. I haven't collected any money for months. So for all intents and purposes, it is finito. Uh, you can always support the, me or the podcast on PayPal by going to loureads.com and clicking the PayPal thing. But really, at this point, you know, just chiming in on Facebook or uh, watching my Twitch streams or whatever other way that you uh, feel like you want to support me is great. I don't make any money on any of these things, so it's just fun to chit-chat with people when they are watching, and it's kind of fun. So anyway, uh, that is the length of the spiel. I still have maybe five or six magnets left, uh, and a ton of stickers. So, well, I, when I run out of magnets, I will be happy to send people stickers. And again, if you want to send me some money for postage or whatever, you can do that through PayPal. Again, go to loureads.com and click the PayPal link to do so. Anyway, without further ado, let's get right into reading biblicalgenderroles.com. So the first thing we'll read is the first post on the main page that is on currently. Uh, the current post is, uh, from July 16th, 2020, and the title of the post, Seven Steps to Grooming Your Young Christian Wife, and it goes like this, and it begins with, in the form of a quote, a thing that someone sent in to the blog, and it goes like this. Oh, sounds like there's some police outside. Hopefully they're not coming to arrest me for reading from this blog, but perhaps... You know, when I started to record this, I was like, in the past, something weird has happened, like a helicopter or sudden construction, or the children upstairs deciding to have a floor-stopping party. And here it is, a 
apparent police siren going on for a minute. Anyway, so the first thing we'll read is the first post that is currently up on biblicalgenderroles.com, posted on July 16th, 2020, entitled Seven Steps to Grooming Your Young Christian Wife. And it begins with a quote from a letter that was written to the blog. I have read your site for some time, but this is my first time writing you. My wife and I have been married a year. She is 18 and I am 24. Now I am trying to get my wife to follow her role as I begin to assume my role as leader. I am six years older than her, but that seems to just make it worse. She keeps saying, quote unquote, you are not my father. She was raised in a strict family, and I guess she thinks now that she is married, she is free from all authority. I have recently put us both on a budget. I have created a budget, and I keep my side, but she keeps overspending on hers. I read your article on seven ways to discipline your wife, and you recommend taking away her debit card. I know I could do this, but in my view, that should be the last option. I am considering starting spanking her. I have mentioned it to her, not on the budget, but in general, and she is against it. She thinks spanking is treating her like a child. I read your warning about a wife reporting a husband for spanking her, and my wife would not do that. She was taught to resolve family issues inside the family. She complained to her mom about something in our marriage a few months into our marriage, and her mom told her she did not want to hear about it. Quote, unquote, you and your husband need to work that out, is what her mom told her. My question to you is, do you think I am making a mistake trying to incorporate spanking as a form of discipline in our marriage? Should I just take away her debit card and give her some limited cash? We are very early in our marriage, and I know this is a time when we will set the pattern for the rest of our marriage, and I would really appreciate your guidance in how to do that. What you just read was an email I received from a young Christian husband calling himself Robert. Whether or not he realizes it, what Robert is really asking is, quote-unquote, how can I, as a Christian husband, groom my young wife? Grooming is sinful in humanism, but sacred in the Bible. Merriam-Webster's online dictionary describes the verb definition of groom as, quote-unquote, to clean and maintain the appearance of, brackets, an animal, to make neat or attractive, to get into readiness for a specific objective. And this fits with the traditional understanding of this word. But humanists see grooming as one person conditioning another person to allow them or someone else to abuse them. This term is often associated with pedophiles preying on children, sex traffickers conditioning women for prostitution, or husbands conditioning their wives to allow them to abuse them. According to secularhumanism.org, a core tenet of humanism is the freeing of the quote-unquote individual from traditional controls by family, church, and state, increasingly empowering each of us to set the terms of his or her own life. This is why the concept of one person exerting control over another is heresy to a humanist while conversely consent is sacred. And this is why quote-unquote grooming is a trigger word for humanists. But from a biblical perspective, grooming when used in the sense of a husband conditioning his wife to be in complete subjection to him and molding her behavior to his preferences is not evil or immoral. But rather, these actions are righteous, holy, and required by husbands of God. 
Remember that Merriam-Webster's online dictionary definition of grooming was to, quote-unquote, clean and maintain the appearance of brackets an animal to make neat or attractive to get into readiness for a specific objective. And now let's compare that definition to what the Bible calls husbands to do towards their wives in Ephesians 5.25-7. Quote-unquote, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Look at the striking parallels between the way God requires husbands to love their wives as Christ loves his church and what grooming actually is. So we can say rightly as Christians that the biblical call for husbands to wash their wives with the word of God to present their wives to themselves in a glorious fashion is a call for husbands to groom their wives. And one thing I want to mention for my humanist friends out there that are in major trigger mode right now, some of them may be hung up on the word quote-unquote animal in the definition of grooming. But if you look at the definition here, and there is a link, you will see these examples of grooming, quote-unquote, an impeccably groomed woman was being groomed as a presidential candidate. So no, this term is not exclusively used of animals. Important prerequisites for grooming your young bride. Now that we have established that it is not wrong, but actually a man's God-given duty to groom his bride as Christ grooms his church, we need to talk about the prerequisites that should be met before a Christian husband attempts his grooming process with his wife. Prerequisite 1. You and your young bride must both be believers. While there are certain unbiblical and worldly ways to groom a young bride for her husband, the steps given in this guide are based upon the biblical view of marriage as God designed it. They will only work for a Christian husband and a Christian wife. See my article, quote-unquote, What is the Gospel? for more on what it means to be a believer in Christ. Prerequisite 2. You and your wife need to be Biblicist Christians. There are two kinds of Christians today humanist Christians, and Biblicist Christians. Humanist Christians only believe the parts of the Bible that do not conflict with the morals and values of humanism. They rationalize this by saying they believe many parts of the Bible are quote-unquote cultural and were not meant for all peoples and all times. Other humanists attempt to play the words of Christ in the Gospels against the words of the Apostle Paul, not realizing that these words are equally the word of God. But for this grooming guide to work, you must both be Biblicist Christians. You and your young bride must believe what 2 Timothy 3.16 states that, quote-unquote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness. And you both must believe that God commands you to live, quote-unquote, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4. Prerequisite 3. Your wife needs to be young. Even if you are both Biblicist Christians, age is a major factor in a man grooming his wife. I have consistently heard from mentoring couples I have spoken with that the grooming of a bride has the most success in women under the age of 25. After that, the chances of success radically fall, even with believing wives. I was given examples of Christian wives in their 30s and 40s trying to get into these mentoring programs. At the beginning of the program, they really seemed like they wanted to change. But in the vast majority of the cases, they exit the program not long after entering them when they cannot make the changes necessary. If you and your wife meet these three prerequisites, you will have a great chance of success in grooming your young bride. 
7 Steps to Groom Your Young Bride Now that we have discussed the prerequisites for being able to groom your young bride, we can now discuss the steps you as a Christian husband needs to take. Step 1. Unlearn what your culture has taught you. Quote, unquote, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12.2 brackets KJV, stands for King James Version. God calls us to unlearn the false teaching of this world that we have been conditioned with our entire lives. This will require a radical worldview change for both you and your wife. One of the hardest changes to make for many couples is the rejection of the quote-unquote adult-slash-child paradigm. Our modern culture teaches us that there are only two primary social classes, adults and children. Children have limited rights until they reach adulthood, and then they have full autonomy. The Bible does not recognize the adult-slash-child paradigm, but rather it specifies three primary classes of people within society, and those are men, women, and children. Under God's law, the social class of men are the only ones that have full autonomy. Women are to be under the authority of men in the home, the church, and society at large. And children are to honor and obey their fathers and mothers. It is impossible to fully embrace the teachings of the Bible concerning gender roles without a husband and wife first being willing to fully reject the modern teaching of the adult-slash-child paradigm. When a Christian wife comes to reject the adult-slash-child paradigm, the whole, quote-unquote, you are not my father, and, quote-unquote, you are treating me like a child, will quickly disappear. For more on this subject, see my article, quote-unquote, John Locke's invention of the, quote-unquote, adult social class. Step 2. You must learn and embrace biblical gender roles. Quote-unquote, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 Brackets KJV An understanding and full acceptance of the doctrines of the Bible concerning gender roles is a critical first step for you as a husband to begin the grooming process with your wife. You can find these scripture references for these doctrines on my main Biblical Gender Roles page. Step 3 Seek out a male spiritual mentor. Quote, unquote, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 27.17, brackets KJV. Finding a wise and godly man to mentor you will be crucial to helping you as you seek to groom your young bride. Step 4. You must teach your wife biblical gender roles. Quote, unquote, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. 1 Corinthians 14.35. Brackets KJV. God calls you to be your wife's primary spiritual teacher. Once you have fully absorbed and embraced the teachings of the Bible concerning gender roles, you must then teach each of these doctrines to your wife. I would suggest you use the order I give on my Biblical Gender Roles page, as each doctrine builds on the previous one given. You should also seek advice from your mentor as to how to approach each of these important doctrines with your wife. Step 5. Get your wife a female spiritual mentor. Quote, unquote, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Titus 2, 3 through 5, brackets KJV. The Bible does not support the concept of female mentorship, 
but it actually commands it. You may hear some horror stories from older men whose wives were actually led astray by ungodly advice from their girlfriends at church or elsewhere. But mentoring by good and godly women who fully embrace and live out biblical gender roles can have life-changing effects on women. I have heard this from mentoring couples I have spoken with and seen it firsthand with younger Christian couples that I know. Step 6. Mold your wife into the glorious wife you want her to be. Quote-unquote, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5.25-27, brackets KJV. Christ did not give up his life for his wife's happiness. He gave up his life to purchase his wife, brackets Acts 20.28 so that he could groom her into the wife he wanted her to be. And this is what God has called you as a Christian husband to do. In 1 Corinthians 11.7, the Bible tells us that, quote-unquote, the woman is the glory of the man. And in Proverbs 12.4, we read, quote-unquote, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. In 1 Corinthians 11.9, the Bible says, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. These scriptures teach that God created your wife for you, to bring you glory. And when your wife brings you glory, this brings God glory. So you, as a man, bring glory to God by your submission and service to him, and your wife brings glory to God by her submission and service to you. What this means, practically speaking, is that you need to begin to mold your wife to your preferences for her behavior. You should never feel guilting in desiring your wife's submission and service to you, but rather you should enjoy this as God enjoys our submission and service to him. So what are some practical ways that you can groom your wife into the glorious wife you want her to be? You can make her modify her clothing style to the styles you prefer. You can make her learn to cook the foods you enjoy. You can make her watch the TV shows you like to watch. And in Proverbs 5.18.19, we read one of the greatest ways a husband is actually commanded to groom his wife. Quote, unquote, let the fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times, and thou be ravished always with her love. While husbands are commanded not to deny sexual relations to their wives in Exodus 21.10-11, in 1 Corinthians 7.3-5, the Bible never commands wives to make their husbands satisfy them sexually. It does, however, command men to do just that in the passage above. A Christian wife's grooming, her God-ordained subjection to her husband, is never complete until she has been groomed to be loving, pleasant, and completely sexually satisfying to her husband. Step 7. Discipline your wife. Quote-unquote, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Revelation 3.19, brackets KJV. The verse above is Christ speaking to his churches after having just rebuked them and threatening to discipline them if they did not repent. Christ associates his rebuke and chastening with his love of his churches. In Ephesians 5.25, the scriptures tell us, 
quote unquote, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So if a husband is loving his wife as Christ loves his church, then he will rebuke and discipline his wife. Otherwise, he is not loving her as Christ loves his church. Discipline from you towards your wife is crucial for the grooming process to work in the life of your wife. There are so many ways to discipline your wife. <laughs> Ten years ago, I would have been against wife spanking as the concept was so foreign to me. I did not know any Christians who engaged in it. But since I started this blog back in 2014, I have had the opportunity to interact with many Christian couples who engage in wife spanking, which is commonly referred to as Christian Domestic Discipline, or CDD for short. I have also had the opportunity to interact with some Christian husband-slash-wife mentor teams who help teach husbands how to spank their wives and also teach the wives how to accept and embrace this kind of physical discipline from their husbands. Based upon what I have learned and seen over the last few years, I can now say the following. I used to be against wife spanking. Then I was neutral to it as I could see no condemnation of it in the Bible. And now, over the last couple of years, I have come to see it as the most effective tool a husband can use in his role as a human instrument of sanctification in the life of his wife. And this is not a newly invented disciplinary tool of husbands, but rather wife spanking was fairly common through history before the last 50 years or so. Whenever I speak of wife spanking, I must issue the following cautionary tale. While it is a husband's God-given right to use spanking as a form of discipline on his wife, brackets with or without her consent. A husband should be wise in regard to the hostile culture we live in. We live in culture which denies almost all the rights that God has given to a husband, including his right to discipline his wife. That means if you do not have your wife's consent to spank her and she calls the police on you, you may go to prison for domestic abuse. Some of the women who have contacted me over the years were raised in homes where the father spanked their mother and they expected it and even embraced the concept as they entered into their marriages. Others learned the benefits of CDD for their marriage from other wives and embraced this practice later in life. But then there are the wives who are conditioned to accept and receive spankings from their husbands throughout mentoring programs. These are programs where the husband and wife work together with a husband-slash-wife mentoring team, and over time, a couple learns to incorporate wife spanking into their marriage. One of the most important things I have learned from these wife spanking mentoring couples is that it is very difficult and rare to get a wife to accept wife spanking if she is past her mid-twenties and especially into her thirties. So it is important to reach women with these mentoring programs while they are still young and moldable. For more on the subject of wife spanking, see my article, quote-unquote, Does the Bible Allow a Husband to Spank His Wife? And whenever I teach on wife spanking, I always get asked if I spank my wife. The answer is no. And the reason is because my wife comes from a moderate feminist background, and she is in her mid-40s, which makes her a far less moldable wife. She would never submit to wife spanking, or even a mentoring program with another couple. Again, this is not to say that we as Christian husbands cannot or should not engage in discipline towards our wives, even if they are older and far less moldable than younger wives. It just means we have to use a different set of non-physical disciplinary tools with our wives. I outline some of these tools in my article, quote-unquote, Seven Ways to Discipline Your Wife. Conclusion Robert's question of how to handle his wife's statement, quote-unquote, you are not my father, will quickly go away once she begins to understand, based upon the Bible, that she must reject the entire adult-slash-child paradigm that our culture has taught her. 
When she replaces that with knowledge that her husband's authority over her is actually greater, not less than what her father's authority was, things will fall nicely into place. And Robert's concern of the six-year age difference is also a result of modern cultural conditioning. Before our post-feminist society, a man being older than his wife was considered an asset, not a liability. It made it easier for him to exercise his authority over her and made it easier for her to submit to him and respect him. Another great asset for Robert is his wife's parents. Too many parents today undermine the authority of their daughter's husband. But thankfully, this is not something Robert will have to worry about. On the question of whether to pull her debtor card or spank her, I have recently had this question come up from another husband, and my answer to him was, quote-unquote, both. While I think that spanking is the most effective disciplinary tool husbands can use with their wives, that does not mean husbands should dismiss other disciplinary tools, especially when the infractions are financially related. Taking away the debtor card is a punishment that truly does fit the sin the wife has committed. Finally, any husband reading this needs to accept the possibility that his grooming attempts will be met with complete rejection by his wife, even if she claims to be a biblicist Christian and even if she is young. This is because sin corrupts us all in different ways. The feminine human nature that God designed was a submissive one one which desired to be dominated by the masculine human nature. But sin corrupted both the masculine and feminine human natures that God designed. And sin corrupts these natures in many different ways. Sin can sometimes corrupt the feminine nature, making it more dominant than submissive, while at the same time it can corrupt the masculine nature, making it more passive or submissive, rather than dominant as God designed it to be. All women have their God-given submissive nature corrupted to one degree or another, but some have their natures so corrupted that there is little or nothing left of the sweet and submissive nature God meant for women to have. So if you find after years of attempting to groom your wife that you are running into a brick wall with her, should you just give up on trying to incorporate biblical gender roles into your marriage? The answer is no. You as the man are responsible before God to do everything you can do on your end. If your wife will not submit to spankings as a form of discipline, then you move on to non-physical forms of discipline like removing the debit card and credit cards while still providing for all her basic needs. You call her out when she disrespects you. Even she does not receive this. You limit her access to your free time. You lead even if your wife will not follow. But one thing you never do is surrender to her desire to control your marriage. And do not fall for the lie of partnership marriage. No marriage is ever a true partnership. Marriage is always a patriarchy or a matriarchy. It might be a soft patriarchy or a soft matriarchy where no one explicitly acknowledges being in charge. And the one in charge might actually allow great freedom to the other. But make no mistake. Someone is always in charge in a marriage. Power vacuums are never left unfilled. And if you have to dig in for a real spiritual battle with your wife, you must be prepared for the weapons she may attempt to use against you. You can find out more about that in my article entitled, quote unquote, Three Ways Wives Try to Control Their Husbands. And Trey writes, if I had this information 30 years ago, my marriage, my entire married life, my wife's entire married life, and my children's entire lives would have been so much better. 
Getting started young and doing it right from the beginning would have been so much better, but man, it's never too late. I finally got serious about it at 25 years of marriage, and it took a couple of years to get it worked out, but praise God, it is so much better now. Thank you, Larry, for the truth of God's word that you teach. And Jonadab the Rechabite writes, Feminist wife, you are not my father, biblical husband. No, I'm not your father, I am your husband. Your head and your earthly Lord. Feminist wife. Only Jesus is my Lord. Drop the God complex. Biblical husband. Sarah was commended as an example to wives for calling Abraham, quote unquote, Lord. Feminist wife. That was an ancient custom. The Bible says we are equal and that husbands must submit to wives just as much as wives to husbands. You're trying to dominate me as unloving. Biblical husband. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for training, correction, and reproof. Peter uses the example of Sarah to be normative and moral for a time. Further, the Bible does nowhere teach equality between husband and wife. When Paul tells wives to submit to their own husbands, he is clarifying the command to submit to one another. He is trying to make sure you can't just made the spurious claim of husband-wife mutual submission like you just did. Feminist wife. You're twisting the scripture because you don't respect me. Biblical husband, I'm untwisting the scriptures in order to sanctify you because I love you. I'm speaking the truth in love. Feminist wife, your knowledge of God is only in your head. It hasn't penetrated your heart. If God was in your heart, you would know that if you love me like Christ, you would love me in the way that I am. You are the one that needs to change, not me. Biblical husband, we are to love God with our heart and soul and mind. Just because I use my mind doesn't mean I am not wholly heartedly Christ's. Christ loves us enough to sanctify us and make us holy. He tells us to go and sin no more. Your resistance to me is sin, and I must, as your head, lead you to repentance. That means you must stop your rebellion against me. I am God's appointed authority over you. You are told in Scripture to submit to me in all things. Feminist wife, you are not my head, you are my equal. Eve was formed by a rib, not a foot, because she was not beneath Adam, but besides him and equal. Your job is to make me happy, and you are failing miserably because you don't love me enough or respect me. Biblical husband, I am your head, just as Christ is head of the church. You will never find joy and contentment as long as you contend with me. In fact, you are not just sinning, you are blaspheming the word. Feminist wife, I can't take your chauvinism. You don't respect me. I want a separation. <laughs> Biblical husband, it is God's design that you refuse, not mine. I love you so much that I will not separate, but I will discipline you. Just as Christ disciplines all who he loves, I will love you. When reason and scripture fail to reach your heart through the ears on your head, I am left sanctifying your heart from the bottom. Get over my knee! Now! And Snapper Tricks adds, I really feel for this guy because he is going to have a hard fight ahead of him. If his wife is even moderately feminist, which most women are, even quote-unquote Christian ones, he very much runs the risk of ending up in divorce. If any of his wife's friends catch wind of his actions, they can cause trouble. If her doctor or dentist hears about it, they can cause trouble. The entirety of this godless society has made it so that husbands cannot utilize their God-given authority over their wives without running the risk of divorce or jail. That being said, I would recommend this as well. Quote, unquote, don't be afraid to let her walk away. Yes, we all want our marriages to last, but she is bound to you as your wife. You are not subject to such restrictions. If she chooses to be disobedient to the point of wanting to leave you, remain perfectly with, yeah. If she chooses to be disobedient to the point of wanting to leave, you remain perfectly within you. 
you remain perfectly within scripture if you choose to take on another wife. She, however, will never be permitted to take on another husband, or rather she may be permitted in the sense that the state and the modern church will gladly allow her to marry again and treat her as though nothing is wrong. But if she does so, she must stand before the judgment seat an adulteress. This is a painful option, but as she is completely unredeemable and chooses to live a life of disobedience and disrespect, and after your careful and loving discipline, she decides she doesn't like being married anymore, then cut your losses and find a woman who will respect and obey you. And Biblical Gender Roles replies, Snapper, the good news I can report as of today is that I put him in contact with one of the mentoring couples I know, and his wife is a Bible-believing Christian although very immature. But she recognizes her immaturity and is excited to work with this older Christian wife whom I trust very well after conversing with her and her husband for several years. I will be in prayer for them that this mentoring will work wonders for their marriage as I have seen it work for other couples as well. Praying for this couple as I am for other young couples I know going through this. Larry. And the final comment is from Luke Denton who writes, I may be a young man who isn't married yet, but if there's one bit of advice that I can give for men desiring a Christian wife is that it starts long before you say, I do. When I met the young Christian woman that I am currently considering as wife material, I was firm about what I wanted in a future marriage. Brackets, that being a biblical marriage. This was to give her the option of leaving me should that notion offend her or the like. Once the relationship was firmly underway, I decided to start sending her devotions over text message. At first, it was just whatever Bible verses had popped onto my app that day. And after a few weeks of this, I started to plan out Bible study plan for her based around biblical marriage, sexuality, and family. Together, we've read through books like Ruth, Esther, Song of Solomon, etc., and I've watched her grow into a much more spiritually mature young woman. I also dropped the topic of discipline early on, too, including spanking. At first, she was hesitant, as she'd had an abusive relationship in the past and didn't want a repeat of that, but over time, she warmed up to the idea to the point where she's keen to try it. She sees it as romantic that I would do that in our marriage out of love for her. Again, it took time for her to warm up to it, and it really helped that I got her genuinely interested in it rather than trying to impose it after the wedding. A lot of this is due to, brackets, apart from Jesus, of course, the culture she was raised in. She's from Africa, and in her culture, women are expected to submit to their husbands and have children at a young age. This was much more suitable for a man like me who was looking for a godly woman rather than trying to deal with a Western, quote-unquote, Christian woman. I suppose one could say that I've been, quote-unquote, grooming her from a certain perspective, but I see it in a different way. I see it as my taking the dominant, leading role in our relationship, and part of that is teaching my future wife about the gospel as 1 Corinthians 14.35 instructs. I never tried to enforce anything upon her. I just tried to teach her what the Bible instructs and let her make her own decisions. I've been blessed with her growing into a young woman who genuinely wants to be a biblical wife with all that entails, including loving submission and discipline. And we'll go from that post to a new post on biblicalgenderroles.com entitled, Is My Husband Raping Me? from July 11th, 2015. And it goes like this. Quote, unquote, is my husband raping me? This is a question that was asked of me recently by a Christian wife. 
She sent me her story as an anonymous comment on my article, quote-unquote, is a husband selfish for having sex with his wife when she is not in the mood? I have made some grammar and spelling fixes to the comment, but it remains true to what this Christian wife stated about problems in their marriage. My husband and I have been married for nine years. When I was pregnant with our first child, we sat down and had a discussion about sex. I told him while I was pregnant, there would be times when I probably would not want to have sex. And if he did, I understood and I would be willing to fulfill my duties and his desires. Well, it all went downhill from there. I understand what the Bible states. I am a Christian. However, he is not. That being said, when sex began to be painful because of pregnancy, he did not care. I would receive the comment, quote unquote, it will only take a few minutes and I'll be quick. Whatever. I took it. Did not hold a grudge. Got past it. The problem is, he has never stopped. My husband has sex with me whether I want it or not all of the time. It has tainted our marriage and our sex life to the point of disgust. Even when I would cry, he would still have sex with me. I can read a book and he will still have sex with me. I have tried to tell him how this makes me feel. I have begged and pleaded with him not to do this to our marriage. That I feel like his whore or his piece of trash. He does not care. I have told him this is not love. This is not biblical love. I do not feel loved and he does not care. I hate when he touches me. It literally makes me sick to my stomach. I became so deep in depression because of it. I will be so sad and heartbroken after we have sex sometimes and he actually will ask, quote unquote, what's your problem? I even went so far as to get drunk so I could have sex with him. Guess what? He thought it was the best idea ever. So he would make sure I would have enough alcohol in me to have sex. Even when I said I wanted to stop drinking, he would always make sure the fridge is full. When I would beg to see a counselor, I would get a full guilt trip of 100 reasons why I should or cannot. Now I am so numb to it all. I put a pillow over my face and say, just get it over with. And still I am trying to be a godly wife. So please tell me how this is not sin. How this is not rape or abuse of some sort. Because in my mind, I feel like I'm living with my molester every day. Yes, he says he's sorry. He does try to get me in the mood. You can definitely tell when he want wants it. It's the only time he comes up behind me and holds me. And the nonstop sexual comments like, quote unquote, why don't you sit on my lap? Gross. And if I don't have sex with him and the sighing and whining is so overwhelming, it becomes a punishment. When I'm upset after we have sex, I get, quote unquote, you told me to do it. I don't know why you are so upset. I can go on and on. So as a Christian woman, do I just keep taking it and keep the smile on my face, pretending everything is okay when it's killing me inside? And just a side note, I am not a feminist. I am very biblical when it comes to God's way and not being in this world, but of this world. So do I get what you are saying about not denying your husband's sex? But what do you do when it is turned into what, yes, I would call rape? My response to this wife and other Christian wives who face similar situations. I'm going to take what I see in her story and try to break it up into various questions that are raised both by her husband's behavior as well as hers. Question one was the husband. Well, I'm going to drink something because my throat's killing me. Question one was the husband wrong for having sex with his wife while she was pregnant and in pain? It depends. Had he just had sex with her in the past few days, then perhaps he should have put her need not to experience more pain and discomfort ahead of his need for sex. But if she had been in pain for weeks or a month and he finally came to her and said, quote unquote, babe, I need this. I promise I will make it quick. Then she should have put his need for sex above her need to not experience additional discomfort. Sometimes, though, a woman cannot have vaginal intercourse for medical reasons beyond just discomfort. For instance, most doctors advise women not to have vaginal intercourse for six to eight weeks after giving birth. 
If a man were to try to have vaginal sex with his wife during this period, it would be highly painful for her and might cause complications with her healing process. But that does not mean a woman cannot meet her husband's sexual needs in other ways during this time. God has given her the ability to manually or orally satisfy her husband in order to meet his sexual needs. Christian wives ought to do this for their husbands during this post-birth period, and for that matter, any other period when they may not be able to physically have sexual intercourse with their husbands. Question 2. Was the husband wrong for having sex with his wife even when he knew she did not want to? As I have said before, I have never advocated for a Christian husband to force himself upon his wife. But contrary to what feminists and other marital rape accusers say, there is a difference between a husband convincing his wife to let him have sex with her and him physically forcing himself upon her. Rather than hash this out again here, I have answered this entire issue from a biblical perspective in my article, quote-unquote, Is a husband selfish for having sex with his wife when she is not in the mood? But the short answer is no, he is not being selfish for having sex with his wife simply because she is not in the mood. The Bible is clear that for the purposes of sex, quote unquote, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. I Corinthians 7, 4. Question 3. Was her husband treating her like a whore? Quote-unquote, he treats me like a whore. Quote-unquote, he treats me like a prostitute. And, quote-unquote, he only wants me for sex. These are three common statements that we hear from wives, brackets Christian and otherwise, about their husbands frequently online and elsewhere. What wives who make these statements are actually saying is, quote-unquote, he does not romance me anymore. He does not talk to me enough and spend time with me outside the bedroom enough. When wives express these sentiments, it comes from a place of them feeling like their husbands have not earned the right to have sex with them. Only when their husbands make them feel the way he once did, then and only then will they be able to have sex with him without feeling like a quote-unquote whore, quote-unquote a prostitute, or quote-unquote just plain used. A husband should know his wife, and part of knowing one's wife is talking to one's wife. I wrote an entire post on this subject entitled quote-unquote 10 Ways to Know Your Wife. So, if this woman's husband was failing to talk to his wife, brackets outside of when he wanted sex, but rather on a daily basis, getting to know what's going on in her life a daily basis, then he was in the wrong. Also, as part of quote-unquote knowing one's wife, he would know if he listened to her that she needs to be touched on a regular basis and not only in a sexual manner when he wants sex. But where the point of, quote-unquote, I feel like my husband's whore falls woefully short is two wrongs never make a right. Her husband doing the right thing, talking to her on a daily basis and knowing her better, is not a prerequisite to sex in marriage. She seems to have been very grudgingly yielding to her husband, and while a Christian husband can accept grudgingly yielded sex, it does not make it right on the part of the wife to have such a horrible attitude. <laughs> The two greatest lies Satan tells women regarding sex and marriage. The scriptures state, brackets, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6.12 We are in a battle with Satan, who uses our sin nature to try and deceive us each and every day. The devil wants to destroy marriage because marriage represents the relationship between God and his people. He wants to make a mockery of it. The first lie Satan tells married women, quote unquote, 
If he makes you feel loved, then by all means, give your body to him. Enjoy great sex based on your passion for one another. You don't need to be married. Follow you feelings wherever they lead you. The minute he stops making you feel loved, dump him and move on to another new romance. This does not make you a whore. Whores have sex with men just to have sex. You are having sex based on your feelings of love, and that is noble and right. But remember my golden rule, don't do anything you don't feel like doing. The second lie Satan tells to married women. Remember what I told you when you were single. That applies when you are married too. If he makes you feel loved and is passionate and romantic and you feel like having sex with him, then by all means have sex. But if he does not make you feel loved or if the passion fades, stop having sex with him and make it clear he has to make you feel loved and romanced like he did when you were first together. If a long time goes by and the feelings of love don't come back, dump him, brackets divorce him, and move on to the next guy. Even if your husband does make you feel loved, you should never have sex with him if you don't feel like it. Never forget my golden rule. Don't do anything you don't feel like doing. Remember you were wondering if you were being a whore by sleeping with men when you were single? Well, you know what a real whore is. It is a wife who has sex with her husband when she does not feel like it, and especially when she does not feel loved or romanced. These two lies of Satan play out in almost every TV show and drama movie that we see today. I pray to God that the Christian women of this world will repent of believing these lies of Satan. A woman who has sex with her husband, even when she does not feel like it, even when her husband is not doing everything he should, is doing exactly what God wants her to do. She is living according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Was her husband wrong for getting her drunk for sex? This answer is easy. Yes, he was wrong. It is never right to encourage drunkenness in someone as that is sinful. Does this wrong rise to the level of allowance for divorce? No, in this case, she needed to exercise restraint and not engage in getting drunk. Is her husband raping her or abusing her by having sex with her when she is not in the mood? Aside from his physically harming her by forcing himself upon her, no, he is not abusing his wife from a biblical perspective. Even if he did physically force himself upon her, it is impossible, biblically speaking, for a man to rape his wife. Abuse? Yes. Rape? No. For a larger discussion of the biblical impossibility of marital rape, I refer you again to my post, quote-unquote, is a husband selfish for having sex with his wife when she is not in the mood? If he convinces her to yield her body to him, then no sin has been committed on his part. But it is very possible that even if she yields to him, that there is still sin on her part. If she acts disgusted by him and acts like he has no right to have sex with her, then sin lies squarely in her court. She needs to eliminate the terms, quote-unquote, rape and, quote-unquote, molester from her vocabulary regarding her husband's sexual advances towards her. Should her husband go to counseling with her? Yes, I believe he should. But they should see a Christian marriage counselor that will exhort her to do what she should as a Christian wife, and perhaps they can lead her husband to Christ in the process. This is her best bet to having her husband change some of his selfish ways. But she will not be able to even have a chance of convincing him to go to counseling until she does what God commands wives to do towards their unbelieving husbands. Quote unquote, wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I Peter 3, 1 to 2, brackets NIV, which stands for New International Version of the Bible.
Perhaps if Christian wives in the situation described in this story would go to God and ask him to remove all bitterness in their hearts, submit themselves spiritually, mentally, and sexually to their husbands with a right heart, they might have a chance of bringing their husbands to Christ, and as a result of that, God can do wonderful things with their marriage. Conclusion I have shown here that, biblically speaking, this woman's husband was not raping her. Did he sin in other ways? Yes. Is it possible for a husband to abuse his wife? Yes. Is it possible for him to rape and molest his wife? From a biblical perspective, the answer is no. Christian wives must eliminate the terms quote-unquote rape and quote-unquote molester from their vocabulary were it references their relationship with their husband. And Laser Metrologist adds, If we want to wrangle over words, if we want to wrangle over words that will probably be fruitless, she was only a few days postpartum, had stitches, brackets, C-section, and he was violently abusing her? If indeed a C-section was involved, I would stop just short of calling it attempted murder and maybe say it was assault and battery with intent to cause bodily harm, even if it was an episiotomy. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was inflicting a kind of severe and degrading pain on her that no one should ever experience, especially not at the hands of someone who is supposed to love you more than anyone else on earth. If you don't want to call it rape, then I will agree that maybe rape is too weak of a word to describe what he did. And Alex adds, I also want to add that I'd be far more emotionally and psychologically damaged if my husband ever did to me what Victoria's husband did to her than I would be if a stranger or even a male acquaintance forced himself on me. Brackets, of course I know that he never would because that's not who he is at all. It would be much worse for me to accept that a man that I've trusted with my life, body, and well-being and who I've consistently worked to keep sexually and emotionally satisfied suddenly displayed such little regard for my mental and physical well-being. And Victoria adds, I didn't expect so much support so soon. I thank everyone for their input. I had an episiotomy and still had stitches from the first time he attempted sex. The quote-unquote rape happened after the postpartum bleeding dried up. I had some scar tissue that was sensitive and the fear of him hurting Mr. caused the vaginismus. Had he been patient with me a few more months, I would have been able to finish the dilator set and be cured of it. Physically, now I am fine. If we were still married, I would have been able to have pain-free sex if he bothered to try some foreplay. I feared if I got authorities involved, he would take away my child. The house was a complete disaster. Brackets, I would clean and wake up to a pig hole in the morning. There was pot in the house and mold, and I couldn't get rid of it. Brackets, he refused to run AC unless he was home. Like, never, and wouldn't key me by the paint to kill it. To him, I was an object, a thing to possess and play with the way he wanted. I am a female that doesn't make me a man's possession to abuse. I should have been a helpmate. And Angela writes, Where do you see in scripture that a man cannot rape his wife? Because it is never addressed? Each person is told not to withhold sex. That is not the same as permission to take what you want by force. And Biblical Gender Roles replies, Angela, no one here has said that a man can physically force himself on his wife or that the Bible says he can. The debate is not about whether the Bible allows a man to force himself on his wife. The debate is what it is called and how it is dealt with. What I am saying is, biblically speaking, a man forcing himself on his wife is not rape, but rather would be classified under abuse. He is abusing his authority over her by forcing himself on her. Now, the woman who this story was originally about did consent to her husband. She just did so in a grudging manner. That was not rape, and it is not even physical abuse on his part. Could he have been more sensitive? Sure. But we need to be very careful about the use of the word, quote-unquote, rape. 
Biblically speaking, rape is not simply a man forcing himself on a woman, but rather is it a man forcing himself on a woman that was not his wife. Rape could have meant death for a man if he raped another man's wife. So no, a man cannot rape his wife by nature of the very fact that she is his wife. But just because it is not called rape or treated the same as rape, as does not mean it is not wrong. It must, however, be seen in this context. As treated as such, I have written on my site elsewhere that if a husband physically abuses his wife, she has the right to divorce him. So if a man were purposefully and knowingly causing bodily harm to his wife, brackets as in the case of Victoria, she had every right to divorce him. But we must use the right terms. Rape is a term that should never be used in the context of marriage. It is something that only applies to forced sexual relations outside of marriage. And it is also important as far as penalties go. It would be insane, as someone would argue, that we should treat a husband who forces himself on his wife the same as we would treat some stranger who drags a woman into an alley and forces himself on her. But you know the dirty little secret why quote-unquote marital rape is being pushed so hard in our modern society? It's because women no longer want to acknowledge that they must submit to their husbands, quote-unquote, in everything. Ephesians 5.24 They control their own destiny and their own body even in marriage. No one is going to tell them that they have to have sex when they don't have the desire to. And Tom adds the last comment. Yes, that is a good way to explain it. A man should not cruelly abuse his wife, but you really cannot rape your own flesh any more than you can burgle your own house. Considering that the wife should not withhold herself from her husband, the thought should never have to pass his mind anyway. Marital quote-unquote rape is an invention of contemporary feminists. It is just one of many weapons they use to attack marriage and gender relations. Christians shouldn't fall for it. Jiminy a Christmas. <laughs> and we'll go from there to another post in the biblicalgenderroles.com blog entitled How to Confront Your Husband for Denying You Sex. And it goes like this. What should a Christian wife do when her husband routinely turns down her sexual advances? Is there anything biblically speaking that a wife can do in this situation? Does God expect Christian wives to say in sexless marriages? Christian wives... I want to be as clear here as I was when addressing the subject with Christian husbands. The situation I'm addressing in this article is not your husband occasionally turning you down for sex, brackets even with a bad attitude, as opposed to for health or other legitimate reasons. What I'm addressing here is the husbands who consistently and routinely denies his wife sexually simply because he does not need sex as much or he thinks he should not have to do it except when he is in the mood or he thinks his wife should have to earn sex with him by quote-unquote putting him in the mood by doing various things he expects or likes. You've prayed about it for years, but nothing has changed, and your husband refuses to meet the obligations of his marital covenant. Again, this is about sexual denial on the husband's part, not lack of sexual initiation. For reasons your husband may not be pursuing you sexually, see my posts, quote-unquote, 12 reasons your husband may not want to have sex with you. For many... <laughs> for many women... They interpret their husband's lack of sexual pursuit as sexual denial, but this is not the case. In fact, it is very common in many marriages where the couple is older that the man may not pursue sex as much and the woman actually pursues it more. So they switch roles, brackets, as in who is doing the chasing. To this, I would say that a man still needs to pursue his wife sexually even as he ages, just as a woman should pursue her husband even when her desire is not there. Now, the percentage of who pursues who more might change, but neither spouse should feel like they are the only ones that ever want sex. So now that we've established what scenario these steps are addressing, let's now establish the right of a woman to have sex with her husband. 
A woman has the right to have sex with her husband, and the husband has a duty to have sex with his wife. Let me say that first and foremost, God give a woman the right to initiate and have sex with her husband. Quote, unquote, 10. If he take him another wife, her food and raiment and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish? 11. And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out freely without money. Exodus 21, 10 to 11, brackets KJV. This passage, when taken in context, was talking about if a man decided to take another wife, brackets, exercise his right to polygamy, he must still provide food, clothing, brackets, shelter is implied as well, and sex, brackets, this is conjugal rights. If a man took another wife and neglected his first wife sexually, her family members or other town elders could approach the man and tell him to release this neglected wife, brackets, give her a bill of divorce. But it provides, though a general moral principle, that a wife has the right to have sexual relationships with her husband in marriage. God reiterates his command that a wife has the right to initiate sex and have sex with her husband in this first letter to the Corinthian church. Quote unquote, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not the power of her own body, but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Corinthians 7, 3 to 4, brackets, KJV. Throughout the Bible, the husband is consistently seen as the head of the wife, as the owner of the wife, and we see here that even though he is her head and owner, she has certain rights as his wife that he may not deny, and sex is one of them. So, if a wife has the right to have sex with her husband, why don't women, brackets, or men for that matter, want to talk about issue? We will discuss that next. Why don't women want to talk about sexual denial from their husbands? There are two common reasons why Christian wives won't are embarrassed to bring up this subject, either with their husbands or women from their churches or even their pastors. The first reason is that sadly many Christian women were raised by their parents or taught in church growing up that quote-unquote only dirty women want sex. Unfortunately, the church over its history has been complicit in this teaching as the church fathers quickly fell into the error that sex was quote-unquote dirty and quote-unquote fleshly not long after the apostles died. And the second reason is that many women feel to bring up this subject would be bad reflection on them. What husband would not want to have sex with wife? Men always want sex, right? They think it reflects badly on their appearance. Quote, unquote, perhaps he no longer finds me attractive. A Christian wife might reason. But the truth is neither of these reasons should stop a woman from bringing this issue up and confronting it when it occurs in her marriage. On the issue of appearance and hygiene, these things are important for both a man and a woman. Both a husband and a wife should do their best to keep their bodies healthy and clean and available for sexual relations on a regular basis. If the man has problems with weight or ED, brackets erectile dysfunction, it is his job to seek medical help so that he can sexually please his wife. So once a Christian wife understands that sex with her husband is a right in marriage and she overcomes her inhibitions to talking about this issue, how should she confront the issue in her marriage? Before you can confront your husband's sexual refusal, you must know and accept your position. The Bible is not a quote-unquote unisex book. Yes, God loves men and women equally, and a woman is no less human being than a man is. But God created men and women with different purposes and roles, and this is seen throughout the scriptures. So when we come to how a wife confronts sexual refusal from her husband, and how a man confronts sexual refusal from her husband, the steps will look different. The biggest reason the steps are different is because a wife is not her husband's authority. She is not spiritually responsible for him as he is for her. While his role is to love her by leading her, providing for her, protecting her, and knowing her, her role is to submit 
submit to him, to serve him, and to gently and respectfully share her wisdom with him as the Proverbs 31 wife does. I have written on this previously that Christian marriage is a type of master-slash-servant relationship, but it's not a typical master-slash-servant relationship in that the wife has many more rights than a servant. And this is much more intimate master-slash-servant relationship in that a husband is commanded to quote-unquote know his wife. But in the context of the master-servant relationship, the Bible tells us that servants have the right to bring grievances to their masters. Quote-unquote, and if I did despise the cause of my manservant or of my maidservant when they contended with me, what shall I do when God riseth up? And when he visiteth, what shall I answer him? Did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Job 31.13-15, through 15, brackets KJV. Job tells us that his servants made in the womb, i.e. just as human as he was. You as a human being, and even more so as your husband's wife, have certain rights when you believe he has violated those rights. You have a right to bring those grievances before him. But you must always be respectful of your husband's position and his authority over you when bringing your grievances before him. Before you take any steps to confront your husband's sin of sexual refusal, check yourself first. (laughs) Before you wreck yourself, not included. Before you embark on this difficult journey, you need to first address any unrepented sin in your own life. You need to pray very hard and make sure you are doing the right thing. You need to confess any bitterness you have towards your husband over this issue before you can confront it. Perhaps there are some other wrong ways you handled it, things you have said or done that need to be confessed to God, and perhaps even to your husband if it directly affects him. Common issues that women who are experiencing sexual refusal face is they were the ones refusing their husbands earlier in their marriage. What happens is, because of many years of sexual refusal on the part of the wife, a man simply stops pursuing his wife sexually. Then one day the wife wakes up and realizes they have not had sex in months or even a year or more, and she pursues him, at which point he turns her down. Now, Is the husband right to do this? Absolutely not. But the wife must realize her part in this and confess her sin of sexual refusal before she can confront her husband's sin of sexual refusal. Four steps to confronting your husband's sexual refusal. Christ said about confronting a brother, brackets, or sister that has sinned against you. Quote, unquote, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, HCBS the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Matthew 18 gives us the first two steps a Christian wife must take to confront his husband's sexual refusal. Step one, rebuke him privately. Rebuke your husband's sin to him in private. A wife's rebuke will look slightly different than a husband's rebuke to his wife's sinful behavior. A husband can speak, quote unquote, with authority to his wife as one under his authority, but a wife must remember her husband is her authority. You, as a wife, can bring your grievance to your husband in a respectful manner. You can plead with him to change his sinful pattern of sexual denial. This assumes you have already on several occasions tried speaking gently to him about the issue. You have tried time and time again to find out if there's anything you can help him with and if anything you can do different. This assumes you have ruled out health problems and other mental problems and he simply has a stubborn or willful attitude towards sex and marriage and he does not think he needs to change. Step two, rebuke him before witnesses. If he is still defiant after rebuking him privately, ask him to go to a Christian marriage counselor or maybe even a sex therapist if he is willing to go. Step 3. 
Bring him before the church. If he will not listen to counselors or refuses to go to counseling, then bring him to your pastor and his wife. If he will not listen even to them, he has chosen to act like an unbeliever, and now he will be treated as such. Step 4. Divorce your husband for the sin of sexual denial. Unlike a husband who has authority over his wife, a wife does not have authority over her husband. So unlike a husband in the same situation with his wife, a wife cannot stop going out with her husband on dates or stop doing household duties or following his wishes. Your only option as a wife after confronting him with the church is divorce. But according to Exodus 21.10-11, you have the right to be freed from this marriage, brackets, and thus his authority for his willful sexual denial. Quote unquote, if he take him another wife, her food, raiment, and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then she shall go free without money. Exodus 21.10, brackets KJV. Under the theocracy of Israel, a husband was pressured by male relatives or elders of the town to give his wife a bill of divorce if he was neglecting her in any of these areas. Our government allows a woman to file this bill of divorce for themselves, and there is no problem with the scripturality as the woman is divorcing her wife on biblical grounds. And there are no comments. Well, what did you think of that? So, biblical gender roles, you know, this concept is, uh, you might say, old-fashioned. You may not be into it. You know, the guy who writes this blog clearly knows a lot about the Bible and has very strong opinions about the role of gender uh, in the marriage. You know, I wouldn't want to debate the guy about the Bible because I certainly gave up on uh, religion a long time ago. Certainly this view of the world is a much more simple one, and that's what a lot of conservative type of people wish for. They wish that things wouldn't change and go back to a simpler place where people knew their role in the world and things weren't as confusing as they are now. Now, certainly, uh, with all the gender confusion and uh, everything else going on in the world these days, things are certainly much more complicated and must be way more frustrating for people who wish to hearken back to a simpler age. But uh, unfortunately, the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, and especially, a, a lot of these instructions are, are um, you know, uh, as they say in the Church of the Subgenius, pulling the wool over your own eyes and sort of the idea of uh, just having to be willfully like, oh yeah, that's how it is. That's how it is. And like, luckily, here in Western society, we don't have to deal with that so much. But uh, in this regard, anyway, yeah, just sort of a weird concept to... The, the, I find sort of the, the grooming question, right? Grooming does have a super negative connotation, but it's also a lot of gaslighting and uh, just, you know, convince, trying to convince someone else that this way of life is in their best interest. And certainly some people are raised that way and are just like, yeah, this is the way it is. And other people are more curious about the world, you know, Pandora's box or, you know, just the, the apple from the tree, you know, the knowledge that you get. Gets, uh, can mess you up because you have the scales lifted from your eyes and see how things are. And then you're kind of like, oh, wait, maybe being spanked because I spent too much money isn't the way it should be. The whole wife spanking thing was really sort of a head scratcher. It seems like a very weird way of controlling someone with spanking. But there's plenty of comics out there of husbands spanking their wives. So, you know, at least at one point in society, that was like an okay thing. These days, I think if you spank your wife... Uh, and you don't already have this sort of groomed relationship, I predict trouble. <laughs> uh, certainly there's consensual spanking. Don't yuck your spanky on my guess. I don't know. I don't care. Anyway, 
that's what it is. Um, I mean, like I said, it's an impressive amount of writing that this guy has done, and clearly there are people out there who desire that that um, paradigm. Anyway, now it's in the books. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, as I have said many times, I apologize that I've I sort of lost the fever to read terrible things for a while, but um, this caught my eye because it is so absurd. And I did discover it on a Facebook post from, I believe, the Church of the Subgenius. Someone shared it. And then, like, as I was in my list of things to read, I did an F-plus reading that was, like, almost identical to this one thing. Just, like, the thing they gave me to read was just like this. And I was just like, oh, brother. But I wanted to get it over with, get it out of the way. So it wasn't always one of those, like, that was a good thing to read. Yeah, I can't. I have no idea when the next episode will be, which is normal, part of the course. Uh, hopefully, something else will come along. I hope everyone's having a fair and measured pandemic. I'm still in my job-seeking nightmare. Still sending out resumes. Still working on the resume. Uh, considering going to some sort of graduate school at this point or getting a certificate. Something has to give because almost everybody I know who has quit their jobs or left their jobs after I lost my job has gotten a new job. So it just feels like either I'm not representing myself right or whatever. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed the episode once again. I'm almost literally out of magnets and don't plan to buy any more in the near future. So if you ever wanted a magnet, and you were putting it off because you were like, eh, maybe, I don't know. Now's the time. I will be sending out stickers because I bought a ton of stickers for the Portland F-Plus show. And I have a ton of stickers left. So I'll be happy to send you a sticker. Make it into a magnet. Or you can take one of the business cards I send and make that into a magnet. The magnet paper's pretty cheap. And that's going to do it for this episode of Lou Reads the Internet for you. I'd still like to make it to 200 episodes just as a arbitrary marker of my success but we'll see we'll see if only i could stomach reading QAnon garbage although i did think about reading the QAnon paste bin eh, we'll save that for later yeah so that's gonna do it for this episode of lou reads the internet for you my name's lou this has been lou reads the internet biblical gender roles edition for you thanks for listening we'll see you soon bye-bye